Have you learned that God uses affliction to better you? After 20 years of servitude, it is time for Jacob to return to Canaan. Genesis 31 records his departure, Laban's pursuit of him, their confrontation, their covenant, and the final separation. For the Lord is our defense, Jesus defend us. For the Lord is our defense, Jesus defend us. For the Lord is our defense, Jesus defend us. For the Lord is our defense, Jesus defend us. With God's blessing upon Jacob, Laban's sons begin to show envy. And Laban too begins to change towards Jacob. I don't know if you remember way back in Genesis 4 when God addressed Cain and said, Why is your countenance fallen? Well, you have similar language here, which indicates that there's been a change of favor or approval from Laban towards Jacob. From the previous chapter, we already know that Jacob desires to return to Canaan. Now that desire is being paired by matters of providence. In the first place, we can see that there's a change in the favor of the family. In the second place, you can see that there's a word from God. In the third place, you can see that his wives are willing to go with him. And in the fourth place, it seems that Laban is no, not quite there in the area. And so now is an opportune time. Now, when you look at how Jacob approaches his wives, it's very interesting to see how he frames the argument. He presents in verses 5, 7, and 9, a kind of contrast between how Laban had been treating him over the years and how God had treated him. And given the years of strife between the two sisters, it's quite remarkable to see how their minds come together here. And the response in verse 16 sounds a little like the words of Mary in John 2 as Jesus begins his ministry when she says, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. So Jacob places all his family on camels, rounds up all his livestock, and takes off without saying a word to anyone. Now, Jacob doesn't know anything about a little detail which we're told that Rachel has stolen her father's idols. Now, why did she steal them? Did she have an interest in using them for worship? Uh, was it just to get back at her father, knowing it would annoy him? Is it because, as some have suggested, they uh, had certain ties to property rights and deeds? Uh, we're not sure. Uh, my tendency is that she didn't really have any personal interest in them. This is more of a kind of getting back at her father, annoying him, upsetting him in a certain way, given how he had treated her and the rest of the family. In verses 22 through 24, we discover that after three days, Laban is informed of Jacob's departure. Now, we don't know how quickly Laban could have prepared himself for such a journey as this, but whatever the case, it takes him seven days to catch up with Jacob and the rest of the party. And a bit like Pilate's wife many years later, Laban also was addressed in a dream, warned not to do any hurt or harm to Jacob. In verses 25 through 42, we have the confrontation between Jacob and Laban. And for the first time, Jacob seems to stand up to his exploitive father-in-law, and Laban is shown to be the hypocrite. Laban suggests that Jacob is taking his daughters away as captives, when really that's how he had been treating them all these years. He also suggests that he would have thrown them a great big party when we know from history that instead he would have tried to negotiate a new deal to keep them all there. Now, the one thing that's bugging Laban is that he knows he has idols that are missing, and he puts two and two together. They've gone, my idols are gone, hence they must have taken my idols. And this is really annoying him. Now, Jacob is an upright man at this point. He has shown himself integrity in all of his business. And, and he says, look, 
not just with regard to the theft itself, but maybe even with a sense of the blasphemy of taking the idols, knowing that these are false. He says, if anyone, if you find them among any of our stuff, then that person can be killed. As Laban begins to look for his idols, of course, Rachel has her own plan to hide them. She has learned deceit well from her father, and so she is able to place them in the saddle of the camel and sit on them and make a claim that she's menstruating so that she cannot get up. It wouldn't be right for her to move at that time. So having failed to find the idols and having made strong accusations of their theft, Jacob is emboldened. He, he comes to Laban and he stands before him and says, look, I have, I have proved my integrity and loyalty in a host of different ways down through the years. And you, you have changed my wages. You have shown yourself that if you had your way, you would be sending me away with nothing. And yet you come here with accusations against me. And so from verses 43 through 55, with nothing to defend himself, Laban suggests a peace treaty, which they enter into, and after which Jacob has a sacrifice, and the next morning they get up and part ways. And so we come to application one. Prosperity does not enable men to escape trials. 20 years earlier, Jacob escaped with the threat of Esau, and he had nothing. Now he's escaping from Laban, and he has great wealth. In other words, the prosperity didn't make a difference. There were still trials for him to experience. When we believe that wealth will remove trials from us, we are suffering from a form of myopia that is unable to see all the ways in which trials come to our doorstep. Christian, resist the temptation to believe that your problems are because of a lack of money. The fact of the matter is, God actually might be limiting your trials through this season in which times are tough. Two, leaders should involve key people in major decisions. Note how Jacob doesn't demand his wives relocate with him. Instead, he sits down and he talks with them and keeps them on board. This, first of all, shows their value to him, and second of all, will make them less critical in the future should tough times come. Husbands, be wise in your decision-making. Just because you have ultimate authority doesn't mean you just say, this is how it's going to be. Talk to your wife, even your children, when decisions are going to impact their life. Shepherd them through it. Guide them through it. Don't just say, this is how it's going to be, and leave it there. Three, tyrants with little power become worse as they gain more power. Laban's treatment of Jacob when they made the arrangement concerning who he should marry was a little window into the kind of man that Laban was. In other words, here is a man who's prepared to do almost anything that might better himself materially. He had no sense of shame, no experience of guilt, and he showed himself to be a deceiver and of his father the devil. Anytime you see someone abuse their current power, always try to prevent them obtaining any more power. For example, an abusive fiancé is not going to become a loving spouse. An abusive manager is not going to become a good CEO. Don't ever support someone who already shows indications of abuse of power. Four, avoid toxic people where you lawfully can. There are many reasons why Jacob should take his family and move, not least of which, of course, is the command of God. But Laban wouldn't have been a helpful person to have around for a man trying to raise his young children. Where they can, toxic people will take rather than give. 
They will exhaust rather than energize. They will criticize rather than encourage. They will destroy your health, squander your time, crush your hopes, and just generally make it hard for you to love. Now, God sometimes appoints them in our lives that we may learn under the affliction. Jacob has spent 20 years under such a person. The assessment of whether to stay or to leave is tricky. I can't put myself in your current or future circumstances. But for Jacob, it was a word from God, the providence of God, and the support of those around him. Five, make sure that which you serve cannot be put in a box. Children, take note of Laban's idols. They can be stolen, they can be stored, they can be hidden, and Laban has to rescue them rather than them helping him. What a far cry this is from the true and living God. Make sure you don't serve that which is cheap, material, and passing. Laban's trying to rescue his idols. Our God, the true and living God, is the one who saves us and rescues us. Six, as much as is possible, live peaceably with all men. Despite all the hardship that Laban had caused Jacob, Jacob is willing to enter into a treaty of peace with him. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace, and if his character rules in our hearts, then we must learn to leave men to receive their dues sometime in this life or at the final judgment. And finally, God uses the hardship of his people to strengthen future generations. Again, we've mentioned this before, but the generation first reading this, those coming out with Moses away from Egypt, reading of the experience of their father Jacob and of all the hardship he faced under a tyrant and how God led him out with great wealth into the promised land would have been hugely encouraging for them because they also were under a tyrant and they also were leaving with great wealth and they were going to be brought finally into the promised land no matter what stood in their way. In a similar fashion, the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ stand as the preeminent model to all the people of God that even though we may have this period of suffering, yet just like our Lord Jesus Christ, there awaits great glory. Let us not be discouraged by our hardship. Let us be confident in our God and trust Him to lead us all the way through to the promised land.